This show is made possible by the support of the members and donors to the show. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Le Show, Media Matters, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Young Turks, It's All Politics, The Tom Hartman Program, Citizen Radio, and The Daily Show, with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. Here is your first quote. The hearings are a vapid and hollow charade in which repetition of platitudes has replaced discussion of viewpoint. That was somebody 15 years ago criticizing Supreme Court nomination hearings. Well, she's going to have to pretend to like them now. <laughs> Who is it? That's Elena Kagan. It is Elena Kagan. Very well done. To um, summarize the coverage of President Obama's new Supreme Court nominee, she is a centrist, leftist, radical compromiser. <laughs> who everybody loves and nobody knows, an all-American, out-of-touch elitist, right-handed, southpaw, asexual, lesbian, heterosexual, whose personal life is a complete mystery. So we expect her to be both easily confirmed and burned as a witch. We'll do it at the same hearing, just to save time. Some say that in picking an Ivy League, even-tempered compromiser, Obama basically tried to nominate himself. And this is true, people have said this. Is this his self-image? He looks in the mirror and sees a five-foot-three Jewish lady? This would explain his otherwise mysterious uh, Twitter handle, Booby. It'll be balanced, because I think most, most of the Supreme Court bats left-handed. And I noticed from her pictures that she bats right-handed. So... Well, if the right-handed defendant comes before the court, she will be able to uh, handle him. left-handed. Well, you know, they, uh, somebody dug up from the University of Chicago yearbook a picture of her playing softball. And uh, everybody went nuts about this photograph. Uh, Major League Baseball asked some of their players to comment on her stance. And other people, like Pat Buchanan, bless his heart, said, well, obviously uh, she's a lesbian because everybody knows that only lesbians play softball. <laughs> I just never realized that you could that you could determine from a sport. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> says the professional advice columnist. Oh sure. De yes, Dear Amy, sure. my daughter wants to play softball. Should I be worried? You should celebrate that. Now, one criticism of uh, Ms. Kagan is that she's the first nominee in years who is not already a judge. And, and that could be fine. I mean, there are other uh, justices who weren't a judge, but there is a slippery slope. I mean, if you allow a non-judge, then someday you might allow a non-lawyer, and then maybe like political pundits, and then Obama's heavy-drinking but folksy uncle. <laughs> as long as he's not gay, he's in like Flint. Exactly. <laughs> and then finally, Associate Justice Wilson, a volleyball with a face painted on it. <laughs> Yeah, I think the volleyball thing's going to get him in trouble. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know what they say about people who play volleyball. Yeah. conservative columnist and commentator Pat Buchanan this week pointed out that if Elena Kagan is confirmed to her post on the Supreme Court, Jews who represent less than 2% of the population will have 33% of the Supreme Court seats. He asks, is this the Democrats' idea of diversity? The folks who look more like the real targets of liberal bias, he says, are white Protestants and Catholics. Not in living memory has a Democratic president nominated an Irish, Italian, or Polish Catholic. 
What happened, he asked, to the party of the Dailies, Ritzos, and Rostenkowskis? And not in nearly half a century has a Democratic president nominated a white Protestant or white Catholic man or woman. Three Jews on the Supreme Court. Subject for more discussion moments from now, here on the show. CPR, Continental Public Radio, at loggerheads. Conflicting opinions evenly matched according to the diametric system. Today, if Elena Kagan is confirmed, will there be too many Jews on the Supreme Court? From the left, Joan Rivers. From the right, Yakov Smirnov. Joan, first time I heard it sounded like ridiculous topic for debate. I thought only place there could be too many Jews is at a mikveh in Brooklyn. But public radio money was inducement to think again. Supreme Court is a unique institution in American life. They serve for life, insulated from all political pressure, yet major influence on how we live. Only thing like it in Russia is President's in-laws. What a country. So why shouldn't court be more representative of America, more Protestants, more Mormons? If we keep going the way we're going, pretty soon white guys in Supreme Court building will be scarce as orchids in Moscow. In Russia, flowers plant you. Don't get me wrong, I've got nothing against more Jews anywhere. Major League Baseball could use some. In Russia, sports bet on you. For that matter, Branson, Missouri could use some Jews. Justice Ginsburg would give you your own theater. In Russia, theater walk out on you. What a country. I know better than anyone else, many Jewish people drawn to legal profession. You need to be smart, very verbal, like to argue to succeed in their work. If you don't believe me... Ask my ex-wife. In Russia, ex-wife supports you. I wish. But USA is such a great melting pot, and especially at Supreme Court, we need more in the pot than matzo ball soup. John? Yakov, first I heard of this topic, I thought, wait a minute, last time I saw this many Jews in robes, it was at the pool of the Doral Hotel for the Goyim that's in Miami. But my God, the people who are saying there should be more Protestants on the court, aren't these the same people who hate quotas, who said there shouldn't be fewer black men working in bathrooms? Personally, I'm proud that lawyers practicing in the Supreme Court are going to have to look up with awe and respect to a couple of short Jewish women. Why should Jewish men have all the tourists? Although God knows they could take a couple of hours out from reading briefs to at least look in a mirror. I mean, Justice Ginsburg, my God, I've heard of dressing like mother of the bride, but not mother of the corpse, please. And you know, Yakov, it's not so long ago the court was a, as much of a no-Jews-allowed zone as the L.A. Country Club, all putts. So we should just relax. In a few years, maybe there'll be two or three Mexican Catholics on the court, and we'll be worrying about closing down the Supreme Court cafeteria because the judges are eating lunch out of a truck. What counts is what's between the ears and between the toes. Ugh, somebody tell Kagan a pedicure wouldn't kill her. From the left, I'm Joan Rivers. And from the right, I'm Yakov Smirnov. We both like to be asked to be at loggerheads. And Loggerheads is produced with help of a grant from the Other Hand Foundation. On the other hand, that's where you'll find us. Next time, another issue that throws off sparks sets the studio ablaze at Loggerheads. Our top item today, Washington Post style writer Robin Given has come under fire after she described Supreme Court nominee Elena Kagan as, quote, dowdy, and repeatedly claimed that she, quote, doesn't appear to ever cross her legs. The column was slammed by many as being sexist. Here's Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar on the Senate floor. So let's focus on what matters here. Let's focus on the credentials, on the qualifications, on how she answers the questions, and not on how she crosses her legs. Fox News' Megyn Kelly, however, leapt to Given's defense. She says, why is she sitting with her legs ajar? She should sit like a lady. My mother, if she saw me sitting like that in a picture that was all over the national airwaves, would scold me too. Given, for her part, dismissed charges of sexism, writing in an email to Media Matters that she didn't think, quote, writing about a woman's appearance in the public sphere is inherently sexist.
confirmation hearings for President Obama's second Supreme Court pick, Elena Kagan, begin on Monday. Given all the drama surrounding Obama's first pick for the Supreme Court, why is Latina now Justice Sonia Sotomayor, you'd think we'd be hearing the same high decibel bluster all summer long about this next nominee. Strangely, no. Think about it. Supreme Court nominees confirmation hearings start on Monday. How much have you heard about it already? Not really a peep. This time around, the opposition is very, very quiet. And why is that? Is it possible they don't have much to go on with Elena Kagan's painfully centrist on-the-record record? Is it because her confirmation is a shoe-in and they've decided to save their pout rage for something else down the road? No one knows. But a few undeterred diehards aren't letting everybody else's awkward silence scare them off. A few diehards are going after Elena Kagan with everything they've got. Kent Jones actually figured out everything they've apparently got against Elena Kagan, and he's here now with this report. Hi, Kent. Hi, Rachel. Now, apparently it's not enough to just smear a justice nominee with the word liberal anymore. Oh, yeah. So now the opposition has gotten really creative this okay. time. Take okay. a look. Elena Kagan may seem harmless enough, but don't kid yourself. This mild-mannered Jew from Manhattan's Upper West Side wants to put America under strict Islamic law. Her mission to strip America of her freedom began when she was dean of the Harvard Law School, when Harvard accepted $20 million from a member of the Saudi royal family to establish a Center for Islamic Studies. Alabama's Republican Senator Jeff Sessions sees through Kagan's veil of lies. Around the same time that Dean Kagan was campaigning to exclude military recruiters, citing what she saw as the evils of don't ask, don't tell, Harvard University accepted $20 million from a member of the Saudi royal family to establish a center for Islamic studies. Obviously, anyone employed by an institution that accepts such a gift automatically means she endorses everything about Saudi Arabia and Sharia law, especially if you're a Jew from the Upper West Side. Columnist Frank Gaffney of the Washington Times joined the fight saying, quote, hats off to Senator Jeff Sessions. The top Republican on the Senate's Judiciary Committee has opened up an important new front in the debate over Solicitor General Elena Kagan's fitness to serve on the Supreme Court. Her attitude toward the repressive legal code, authoritative Islam called Sharia, and her enabling of efforts to insinuate it into this country. And if that didn't get the point across, the Washington Times included this helpful illustration. Yes, that's Elena Kagan. Yes, they put her in a turban. The Family Research Council also sounded the alarm, quote, the next Supreme Court justice has nothing but affection for radical Muslims in the Middle East. And if that didn't get the point across, the FRC included this helpful illustration, siding with the enemy. Who is that scary man in set in the word enemy? Could it be Elena Kagan's best friend, Osama bin Laden? And, and, Elena Kagan is a Mets fan. The strikes against her just keep piling up. <laughs> they have to Photoshop the turban on. Yeah. The Washington Times, they've got that ready to go on any news photo. It's like a template. It's a macro in their Photoshop software. Yeah. Quick, put a turban on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hate it. Turban. Now that I escape, sleep, walk away. Yeah. Those who correlate know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound bait, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in the ghetto, of course. When get the up and on their horse. Kick around, drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete. But the deceased, but no, don't weep. Why Clef's in a state of sleep, thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Money in the bag, banker look like a drag. I wanna play with pelicans from here to Baghdad. Gun blast, think fast, I think I'm hit. My girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not, I'll send a letter to my friends. A born again hooligan, only to be king again. Ready or not, here I come, you can't hide. As Al Franken talks to American Constitution Society, uh, he wants to explain to people, hey listen, this court is affecting your daily lives, this Roberts Court, the Supreme Court that's right wing now. And, and you need to understand that. So he, he has this quote. He said, if you have a credit card, if you watch TV, 
if you file insurance claims, if you work, in other words, if you participate in American daily life at all, then you interact with corporations that are more powerful than you are. The degree to which these corporations' rights are protected over yours, well, that's extremely relevant to your life. And in case after case, the Roberts Court has put not just a thumb, but a fist on, on the scale in favor of those corporations. See, now there is a Democratic politician doing something very rare, explaining to people why conservative judicial activism is hurting you in your real life. It's not theoretical. He says, look, they always talk about, oh, late-term abortions and getting the crosses or the menorahs out of the public arena in, in the public square in your local town. He's like, that's not the real issues. Those are all distractions to, to say, oh, no, I'm against that. Oh, I'm on your side. He said the real issue is corporate power, which affects your everyday life, versus individual power and individual freedom and, and protecting you, which is what the government is supposed to be doing. Right, whether it's national defense, the police, or regulations to make sure that corporations take safety regulations, whatever it might be. So, for example, a rig doesn't blow up and spill all over the Gulf of Mexico. He's making the case. The reason I'm so excited about that is because almost no other Democrat does. Here's what Obama should be doing every day. He should explain what judicial activism is, as Al Franken is doing here. And he should make it clear how it affects your everyday life. It's such a breath of fresh air to, to see this speech. And it's just an absolute relief to see a Democrat uh, finally doing his job and making the case they should have been making for the last several decades and never got around to. I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoflelf.com. Thanks so much for your support. I have to confess that I'm not always fully engaged in Senate confirmation hearings of Supreme Court justices, especially over the past 15 years or so. I mean, maybe since the Clarence Thomas hearings, because they they always take on a certain kind of blandness where the answers are as vague and as general and as non-revealing well, you know as why. possible. The, the guide was, of course, Robert Bork, who gave specific answers, and every answer upset everybody who was listening. He said, wait a second, this guy can, should not be confirmed to the Supreme Court. Every subsequent Supreme Court nominee has been very, very careful with his or her answers. So for every justice or future justice since then, it, it seemed a lot like they were in the dentist chair or something. But Kagan, she seemed to love this. She didn't reveal a great deal more in terms of what kind of justice she will be. But I think she revealed a great deal about herself that none of us really knew about her. And I found it, if not entertaining, uh, charming. And you could see her approach kind of having an effect on the, the senator's on the panel. I guess that the only question is how many Republicans or how many senators vote against her. There were 31 no votes on Sotomayor. There were 22 on John Roberts, 42 votes against uh, Samuel Alito, including Senator Obama voted against both Roberts and Alito. As a matter of fact, was part of the failed filibuster against Alito. So I assume it's uh, 30 some odd between 30 and 35 senators voting no. That would, that would be my guess. Doesn't it seem, though, that this is just practice? I mean, look, we're having Sonia Sotomayor replace David Souter. We're having Elena Kagan replace John Paul Stevens. Ideologically, there's no change there. But if an Anthony Kennedy would leave or a conservative would leave while President Obama is still president, I mean, that's all hell would break loose. You're right. Nobody feels like they're giving anything up. In fact, uh, some of the loudest complaints we're hearing are from progressive groups who say, hey, 
she's not liberal enough. We really don't know what her philosophy is, except I thought it was a little forthcoming for her to concede, yes, I am a progressive. Otherwise, what else would I be doing in the Clinton administration and the Obama administration? I clerk for Abner Mikva. I clerk for Thurgood Marshall. By the way, speaking of Thurgood Marshall, I think um, the real question is not whether Elena Kagan will be confirmed, but whether Thurgood Marshall will be confirmed. He somehow seemed to be the issue when, on the opening day of the hearings. Well, and that was that was a very fascinating line of attack. It did show how little they had to go after her with. But I think a lot of us were surprised the degree to which the Republicans tried to make Thurgood Marshall an issue. And maybe they're they're counting on people kind of forgetting who Thurgood Marshall was, forgetting what his legacy is. But we did see that line of questioning essentially stop after the first day. And, and truth be told, it was mostly in the opening statements. But if you know a nominee is going to be confirmed, and I don't think there are any real doubts here. Shouldn't the opposition, the Republicans' approach be do no harm to themselves? That's a fair question because, you know, when, for example, Rand Paul, the Kentucky Senate nominee, did this weird thing against the 1964 Civil Rights Act, there were so many Republicans who, you know, held their head and said, why do we have to bring up this issue again? So the nation's first African-American Supreme Court Justice, Thurgood Marshall, for the Republicans to use that attack line, you wonder what the priorities are, whether you want to look forward or go back there. Keep on singing loudly. Peace, freedom, and democracy, all these traditional American values, yeah, and not just American, democracies all over the world. You know, when this country was started, democracy was this weird idea. Nobody thought it would work. Alexis de Tocqueville in 1886 and his uh, Democracy in America came over here, spent six months, traveled around, uh, wrote a very good analysis of America. But his ultimate conclusion was, eh, this might last, it might not, this is, uh, you know... And then the Civil War came and everybody said, see, told you so, ain't going to work. Now we've got over 100 countries in the world that call themselves democracies and hold to these values. And apparently the United States Senate, or at least the Republicans on the United States Senate Judiciary Committee, don't understand some of these fundamental values. The Yesterday, the Senate Judiciary Committee's single talking point was and and uh, you know by by a ratio of two to one, the number of times that they mentioned Thurgood Marshall, the first African American Solicitor General. Now, Solicitor General is the job that Elena Kagan has right now. That's the person who argues on behalf of the United States government, not just the administration, but the United States government. She works for the for the executive branch, but but. Uh, argues on behalf of we the people before the Supreme Court against whoever is the other party, whether it's uh, Southern Pacific Railroad or Nike or or Citizens United or whoever it may be. The Solicitor General, General argues the U.S. side. Thurgood Marshall used to be the, the Solicitor General. And in 1950, was it 54-56, as Solicitor General, I'm pretty sure it was 54, he went before the Supreme Court and he argued in a case called Brown versus Board of Education that way back in 1898 in the Plessy versus Ferguson case, where an African-American by the name of Plessy got onto a railroad car and walked into the whites-only car and a railroad cop by the name of Ferguson arrested him and threw him off the car. He got back on. He got arrested, thrown off, got back on, got arrested, thrown off, got back on. Finally, he got imprisoned, Mr. Plessy, took this case all the way to the Supreme Court, 1898, and the Supreme Court ruled that he did not have the right to sit in the whites-only car, that he had the right to be in a blacks-only car that had equal accommodations. 
In other words, it also had seats, also had windows. They didn't have to be quite as clean or quite as fancy, but roughly equal. And that doctrine applied to schools, it applied to churches, it applied to, to railroad cars, it applied to airplanes, it applied, it applied to restaurants, it applied to hotels, right across the board from 1898 until 1954. And Thurgood Marshall went before the United States Supreme Court and said this, as America's first African-American solicitor general, and said, this is wrong. And in a unanimous ruling... All of the members of the Supreme Court in 1954, all of them said, you know, you're right. So yesterday, I, I, I just find this incredible. The, 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 the 35 times Jeff Sessions and all the, you know, and his right wing henchmen, his right wing buddies, his Republican buddies on the Senate Judiciary Committee, 35 times in a negative context, they mentioned Thurgood Marshall. They only mentioned Barack Obama, who is their modern day boogeyman. Oh my God, we've got an African American as president. They only mentioned him 14 times. So yesterday was, I'll get to today in just a second, yesterday was war on Thurgood Marshall Day. So who the hell is Thurgood Marshall? Well, as I said, he's the guy who successfully argued the the Brown versus Board of Education case before the United States Supreme Court in the mid-1950s that led to the integration of our schools, that led to the integration of our lunch counters, that led to the integration of our neighborhoods, that led to the, oh my God, Jeff Sessions might have to sit next to a black man on an airplane now. Can you believe it? Jeff Sessions' kids might have to go to school with black kids. Now, here's what's truly bizarre. After spending the whole day slamming Thurgood Marshall as an activist, this man was an activist. Senator Jeff Sessions, he called him a well-known liberal activist judge. When the the, the Salt Lake Tribune... The newspaper in Salt Lake City. Now, Orrin Hatch is another member of this Congress. He was trashing Thurgood Marshall. And so his local newspaper tracks him down and says, uh, well, uh, you know, what was wrong with Brown versus Board of Education? And Orrin Hatch says to to his hometown newspaper, well, it's hard to say. Turns and walks away. But, Orrin Hatch said to the paper, There is no doubt he was an activist judge. John Kyle. John Kyle, the Republican senator from Texas who's on the Senate Judiciary Committee, the guy who's the chairman of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, the guy tasked with raising money for other Republicans. Talk about speaking to the base. Talk about dog whistle to the racists. Talk about what the Republicans did yesterday was all but... Furl out a KKK banner and show up at robes and hoods and say, hey, all you racist guys out there, send us money. Get us elected. We're going to make a good stand here against this woman who had the temerity to clerk for Thurgood Marshall. See, that's why they keep invoking Thurgood Marshall's name is because Alina Kagan was a clerk for this guy. So this this is pretty amazing. So John Kyle criticized Thurgood Marshall yesterday after the hearings. Or excuse me, this was during the hearings. And what was his criticism of Thurgood Marshall? What made Thurgood Marshall a liberal activist? Well, these are John Kyle's own words. Quote He had an unshakable determination to protect the underdog. Oh, we can't have that. I mean, that's that's just just terrible. John Kyle went on to say, The president says that judges should have a keen understanding of how the law affects the daily lives of American people and know that in a democracy, powerful interests must not be allowed to drown out the voices of ordinary citizens. And that, that... is an accurate quote by John Kyle of President Obama. 
He then goes on to say, Kagan wrote a tribute to Justice Marshall in which she said it was his view that the courts and it, it was the it was the role of the courts in interpreting the Constitution to protect the people who went unprotected by every other organ of government. And later, when she was working in the Clinton administration, she encouraged a colleague on a speech about Justice Marshall to emphasize his unshakable determination to protect the underdog. Oh, my God. We can't have this. This is absolutely terrible. This woman clerked for an African-American who was a progressive. He wasn't even actually a progressive. He was a kind of moderate liberal. He mostly thought that, you know, the underdog should be protected. That American values had to do with the middle class and everybody. As opposed to John Roberts, who has always, always, in every single ruling, I am not exaggerating, has always sided with the rich, the powerful, and the corporate over the poor, the powerlessless, and the individual. Former U.S. Army Lieutenant General William Boykin, in uniform, in 2002, explaining that the United States was actively engaged in a holy war against Islam. Uh, General Boykin, who was a top Bush administration Pentagon official, wasn't just explaining that we were in a holy war. He was explaining, in essence, that that was a good thing, because he was fighting a holy war, too. Well, you know what? I knew that my God was bigger than his. I knew that my God was a real God and his was an idol. I knew that my God was bigger than his. Uh, General Boykin's remarks in 2002 and 2003 proved to be too much even for the Bush administration back then. The Pentagon made clear the general was out of bounds and the president distanced himself from the my God's bigger comments. General Boykin retired in 2007. What's he been up to since? Well, he's the guy Senate Republicans announced would be in their first round of witnesses to testify against President Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Elena Kagan, whose confirmation hearings began today in Washington. General William Boykin is who Republicans plan to have make the case that Elena Kagan is secretly anti-military, I guess? Or maybe he was going to make the case that she has a very, very tiny god or something? William Boykin. Uh, perhaps after their Google got unstuck, Republicans rescinded their invitation to General Boykin. Literally within hours of announcing him, Senate Republicans disinvited General Boykin from the witness list to testify this week. And that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about this particular Supreme Court nomination fight and what Republicans are trying to do here. Beltway common wisdom um, is something that in general I think you shouldn't trust farther than you can throw it. But Beltway common wisdom is pretty strong on this one. And it says that Elena Kagan will be confirmed as the next Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Because everybody seems to believe that is true, these hearings are not shaping up to be a real fight about whether Ms. Kagan is going to be kept off the court. They are instead turning out to be a chance for our two political parties to show off a little bit. To show off a little bit about what's important to them about the judiciary, which does make up one-third of our constitutional system of government. Uh, choosing William Boykin, Mr. My God is Bigger Than Your God, as their lead-off testimony against Elena Kagan, tells you a little something about where Republicans think they're heading here. 
Even if for matters of political prudence they decided belatedly to disinvite William Boykin, we still got plenty of indication today from the lead Republican on the Judiciary Committee, Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama, that Republicans will try to use the Kagan hearings as sort of a teachable moment to warn America yet again about the dangers of liberals. Throughout her career, Ms. Kagan has associated herself with well-known activist judges who have used their power to redefine the meaning of words of our Constitution and laws in ways that, not surprisingly, have the result of advancing that judge's preferred social policies uh, and agendas. Her actions punished the military and demeaned our soldiers as they were courageously fighting uh, for our country in two wars overseas. Ms. Kagan's college thesis on socialism in New York seems to bemoan socialism's demise there. Doesn't that just take you back? Can't you just close your eyes and listen to that voice? It's like you forget what decade it is. You forget what century it is. The fun thing about the be afraid of the liberal strategy that Republicans seem to be deploying against Elena Kagan is that she's really not that much of a liberal. So that's going to be fun to watch over time. Also, it's just fun to listen to see how many extra syllables Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III can add to the word liberal to make it sound more scary. Democrats, on the other hand, seem to be trying to use these hearings as their own teachable moment. Our next guest, Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, today kept her opening remarks tightly focused on the nominee and her qualifications. But some other Democratic senators, including her counterpart from Minnesota, Al Franken, and Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, essentially followed the lead of Jeff Sessions. Not in dark warnings about liberalism, but in trying to use these hearings as an opportunity to make a broader case to the nation about the judiciary, about the courts. Specifically about the judiciary that we've got and the courts we've got right now. Specifically about the John Roberts Supreme Court and the corporations that love it too much. There is such a thing as judicial activism. There is such a thing as legislating from the bench. And it is practiced repeatedly by the Roberts Court. And it has cut in only one direction, in favor of powerful corporate interests and against the rights of individual Americans. My state has been victim to the third largest Ponzi scheme in history, and yet in 2008, in a case called Stone Ridge, the Roberts Court made it harder for investors to get their money back from people who defrauded them. The Twin Cities have more older workers per capita than almost any other city in the nation, and yet in 2009, in a case called Gross, the Roberts Court made it easier for corporations to fire older Americans and get away with it. There is a pattern here. Each of these decisions was one with five votes, and in each of these decisions, that bare majority use its power to help big business. Senator Al Franken of Minnesota, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island hammered the same point home by highlighting the Roberts Court's most controversial ruling to date, Citizens United. The Citizens United decision, yet another 5-4 decision, created a constitutional right for corporations to spend unlimited money in American elections, opening our democratic system to a massive new threat of corruption and corporate control. There is an unmistakable pattern. For all the talk of umpires and balls and strikes, at the Supreme Court, the strike zone for corporations gets better every day. It is a great constitution we have inherited. And you will be a great justice if you interpret our constitution in the light of its founding purpose, rather than according to the preferences of today's most powerful interests. Elena Kagan, in all likelihood, is going to be confirmed as the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. No sure bets, but that seems likely. The big unknown at this point is how many votes she'll get. As E.J. Dion wrote for the Washington Post today, confirmation hearings in the past have been a chance for conservatives to trumpet their judicial philosophy to the nation, almost regardless of anything about the nominee. Will Elena Kagan's hearings be the first time in a generation at least that Democrats do that about their judicial philosophy instead of the Republicans. Will you remember the dress 
of heaven, Jamie. I was wondering why you looked so mad. You just learned something that you're dying to get out, right? I don't know if anyone has been watching the confirmation hearings of Miss Elena Kagan, which is sort of heavenly. It's awful. In fact, Elena Kagan said uh, some years ago that she found the whole process vapid and hollow, and here she is. Now evading questions masterfully as these fucking windbags blather on for nine hours. So, yes, uh, what this confirmation hearing has turned into is Elena Kagan, many, many years ago, worked for Thurgood Marshall, who's one of the most famous justices to ever serve on the Supreme Court. Yes, black. So Republicans hate him, and they, you know, they because he's black. Because he's black, and they say he's an activist judge. That means black. That means black. Seriously, because he was all about protecting individual liberties, which Republicans supposedly are fans of, but not if you're a woman, not if you're black, not if you're gay. Like Thurgood Marshall. So well, he's not a gay woman, black. Guy. Right, right. Yeah. Some of that applied to him, not all of it. The black thing. So, Elena Kagan worked for him, so by extension, she too is a dangerous radical. And this is what really frustrates me about this. There's a lot to criticize Elena Kagan about. Uh, her total lack of record, for example. Uh, the fact that she, at her first chance, sold out the gay community. But. Well, also the fact that she. You know, she's been accused of her hiring policy at Harvard. The majority of people she tendered were white dudes. I think there was, like, one black person. So it's so funny that they're relating her to Thurgood Marshall, and she clearly still favors white guys. Yeah, so she's basically uh, the old guard in a skirt. You know, everybody's like, no, no, she's a woman and she's a Jew. She's exciting and she's new. She's, She's yet another person from Harvard. Did you mean for that to rhyme? I didn't. That was really weird. I should be a rapper. Nope. It's never going to happen nope. again. Are you trying to think of a rap? Allie K, keeping it real <laughs> and bringing the truth. All right. Okay, I won't do it. You're not even going to be able to listen to that again. I won't do it. Um, so, yeah, the confirmation hearings are happening right now, but this is actually what I just learned, Jamie, and I really wanted to share it with you. So, Jeff Sessions is a notoriously awful Republican from the great state of Alabama. That's not a great state. So, I was being sarcastic. Oh, sorry, we have fans in Alabama, too. You're great. <laughs> nice, Jamie. Your state's off. Seamless. Uh, yeah. So, uh, he uh, has been harping this on the whole Thurgood Marshall thing, like he does. And he actually compared today, Jamie, Brown v. Board of Education. I remember that. Which, I'll offer a little refresher, was a Supreme Court case that, you know, desegregated the schools and made black children and white children go to the same school. Two, Citizens United, which was the recent case that allows corporations to spend as much money as they like getting their officials elected. Can I ask you a question? Yes. What? I have no idea. And Digby just posted this where she said something like, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, the corporations are free at last. This is the most insulting thing I've ever heard. And that's saying a lot because our Republicans are awful. But to compare Brown v. Board of Education, which once again desegregated the schools, mm-hmm. to corporations being permitted oh. to spend unlimited funds Ooh. on electing officials uh, is gonna, a tad offensive. I'm just going to hide. I was making a, a school project. I'm going to hide my piece of poster board where I was comparing Malcolm X to, <laughs> to Steve Chief Steve Jobs. Yeah, you should probably you should probably burn that. Steve Forbes. Probably I meant Steve should, Forbes. It's all right. It's okay. I have to fix that on my poster yeah. board. <laughs> I just have a picture of yeah, Steve Forbes and out. it just says Steve Jobs. So the old tired argument they wheel out every time they're confirming a new justice is that this justice, particularly if it's a Democrat, is going to be an activist judge. And that's sort of the the bad, you know, buzzword that everybody pulls out. And what really annoys me is every judge is a fucking activist judge. If you tell me Clarence Thomas isn't an activist judge, I will slap you in your stupid mouth. If you have thoughts, you're an activist judge. You right. Know your I mean? ideologies persuade you to behave and vote a certain way or legislate a certain way. And that's activism. You know, no matter any way you color it, that's activism. So a good example of this is the Supreme Court just overturned a decades-old ban on handguns that was passed in Chicago. 
That is the work of pro-gun activists, you know? But nobody ever spins it that way in the media. When they do it that way, you know, they're sort of applauded for not being liberals. But here's the thing. We have conservative activists on the Supreme Court, and we have liberal activists on the Supreme Court. But the conservatives are proud of being activists. They fight like hell, and they win. And the liberals are just preoccupied with not looking liberal. Yeah, while we're bashing liberals, here's another problem I have. So, Elena Kagan... Awful fucking nominee for many reasons we've discussed on the show. Her her stances on executive power. Yep. And she is getting grilled by the Republicans. She is being called an activist by the Republicans. And it's, it, it's another fucking example, just like with health care, just like with the stimulus, just like with everything, where Barack Obama could have nominated... Mm-hmm. An actual activist, an actual progressive, Mm -hmm. and she would have been getting shit on just as much. Over the weekend on the Sunday talk shows, Republicans were saying they're willing to filibuster Kagan. And this is another example of sliding everything more to the right, Mm. where Elena Kagan is a centrist, but the Republicans are labeling her a activist liberal. So what's going to happen when an actual liberal comes along? Well, they're going to call her fucking a Marxist, or they're going to call her whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, again, Obama, if he wanted to, could have nominated an actual progressive. That progressive would have gotten just the same amount of shit, except, number one, we could have had a progressive on the Supreme Court, which is arguably the most important position in the country. And the definition of progressive would actually be progressive instead of now, you know, people were calling Barack Obama a progressive and a socialist. That's well, what the right does. That's, and, and what the, that's what the problem is. He's not a progressive, so he didn't nominate a progressive. Who did he nominate? He's a moderate, so moderate to right, and she's moderate to right. And that's who he nominated. In fact, everybody's been saying he chose her because... She reflects a lot of his own values. So maybe if we had elected a progressive president, we would have gotten a progressive candidate. But she's not surprising. When he he nominated her, I was like, that's about right. You know, Sonia Sotomayor, I was never really, really freaked out about because I thought she would vote like Souter. And so far she has. I mean, she may shock everybody and become conservative overnight. But it's pretty reliable, you know, based on what we know about these Uh, people. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. There was a part of me when it came to Supreme Court where I think there's always... Ah, God. And I hate to admit this on a show to our our listeners, especially Jeremy Scahill, but there was still a part of me, and I've criticized Obama just as much as Ali on the show, but there was part of me that I'm like, I just think he's a fucking politician, and deep down... Because he lived on the south side of Chicago. He knows that, at least when it comes to the Supreme Court, this kind of transcends his presidency. Like, they're going to be around a lot fucking longer than he is. So this is the one time you fucking buckle down. But he's not a progressive. He's I know. not. I know. He's a technocrat. He's a moderate technocrat. But, but, but technocrats are, you know, they're advantageous when playing politics. But I feel like with the Supreme Court, I'm just like any fucking decent person. I don't know. You're right. It's not about being decent at this point. I mean, he is in a corrupt, broken system, and he is one man. And anybody who's looking to him to change everything, it's just not going to happen. So this election of Elena Kagan, just our election, this uh, (laughs) nominee of Elena Kagan, makes perfect sense because she so obviously reflects who he is as a person. You can support this podcast at no additional cost yourself when you shop at Amazon through a special widget posted at bestoftheleft.com. You can use the widget to search for what you're looking for or simply click through and shop the site normally. Better yet, click through on the widget once and bookmark that page to use every single time you shop. By doing this, Amazon will donate around 7 or 8% of the cost of your order to support this show without adding a dime to your bill. It's very little effort on your part, but can make a huge difference to support the show. Check out the widget on the right side of bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
Senator Coburn is going to be asking Alana Kagan about freedom. Do we have more or less freedom than 30 years ago? Uh, I thought it was a bizarre point. Apparently so did Alana Kagan. But then Senator Klobuchar from Minnesota comes in and uh, addresses that point in, I think, a devastating way. We're going to show you both of those. Let's go to clip number seven. Have you ever contemplated the idea of what your freedom was like 30 years ago and what it is today? How old was I 30 years ago? You were 20. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I have ever contemplated that exact Well, I, I want to tell you, a lot of Americans have, and I certainly have. And there's a marked change in this country from when I was 20 to now that I'm 62. And one of the problems with confidence, and the reason I asked you the question, is a lot of Americans are losing confidence because they're losing freedom. They're losing liberty. Um, I was really interested and listened to uh, Senator Coburn. I wasn't going to focus on this as much, but he was talking about the concept of freedom, which is integral to our country and to our Constitution. And he was actually asking you just now, back 30 years ago, if you thought that we were more free. And I think it's a very hard question to answer and not one that necessarily is uh, one that you would expect in this hearing. But I was thinking back 30 years ago, I uh, was 1980. And then I was thinking about, were we really more free if you were a woman in 1980? Do you know, um, uh, Solicitor General, how many women were on the U.S. Supreme Court in 1980? Well, I, I, I guess zero. That would be correct. There were no women on the Supreme Court. Do you know how many women were sitting up here 30 years ago in 1980? Oh, it was very striking when Senator Feinstein said that she was one of two women, and I thought, how amazing. How, how, so how many? There were no women on the Judiciary Committee. In fact, no women um, were on the Judiciary Committee until after the Anita Hill hearings in uh, 1991. Do you know how many women were in the United States Senate in 1980, 30 years ago? I'm stumped again. No women were in the United States Senate. There had been women in the Senate before... Uh, and then in 1981, uh, Senator Castlebaum joined the Senate. Uh, so as I think about that question about if people were more free in 1980, I think it's all in the eyes of the beholder. That's a great point by Klobuchar. You know, the Republicans always want to go back and say, oh, oh, the good old years of America, oh, when it was in the 1950s and 60s. Yeah, when, for example, minorities didn't have rights, right? And there were no women in the Senate, no women on the Supreme Court, et cetera, et cetera. The other day, uh, we had Jeff Sessions saying, oh, the progressive movement of the 1920s. Is that the kind of progressive you are? By the way, you know what happened in the 1920s uh, progressive movement? Uh, women got the right to vote. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of progressive I am. And those progressives were uh, gung-ho against corruption, political corruption, uh, corporate interests taking over politics, and they wanted to modernize the country. Am I that kind of progressive? Hell yes, I'm that kind of progressive. Okay, so, and who were they fighting against? They were fighting against people who didn't want women to have uh, the right to vote, they didn't want blacks to have any rights whatsoever, uh, and they wanted the banks to control everything, and they had, and the reason the progressives actually were successful back then is because we kept having financial crisis after financial crisis because of the big banks. Sound familiar? Right? So they always want to go back in time. But when you go back in time, it wasn't so great for all of us. Maybe it was great for Senator Coburn. He's like, oh, we were so much freer back then when we didn't have to deal with all these women and minorities clogging up the system like this. I don't, other than that, I don't even know what he means by we were freer 30 years ago. How, how are we in shackles? I, I, I think I'm pretty free. I don't know what he's talking about. You know, and part of it is probably this sense of, you know, oh, when I was a kid and things were better. I just watched my graduation. I found it on Facebook, right? Somebody had a 10-minute video of it, of my high school graduation back in 1988. And it looks idyllic, right? And it looks, and I remember thinking, oh, what a great world. And I was very lucky to have a great childhood, right? Sitting there in the suburbs. But I didn't know back in 1988 what the situation in the country was outside of our little suburb, you know, and outside of my current, well, my context at the time, I was a kid. I didn't know what the situation was with women's rights, civil rights, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and the list goes down the road. Okay, so 
Yeah, if you look back, oh man, if I could just go back to 1988 when everything was great and we were all playing kickball and having a great time, right? <laughs> and, and the Coburn and those guys feel that way about 1955 or 1965 or whatever it might be. But that, it was great in their enclave, it was great in their context, it was great for their subculture, but it wasn't great for everybody. We're a hell of a lot more free these days in so many different ways for so many different Americans. And I love that Klobuchar pointed that out. Uh, obviously, we've had a lot to cover this week. Uh, the G20, World Cup, uh, Joe Biden declaring war on frozen custard and all who serve it. <laughs> but a major story has been unfolding in Washington all week, the confirmation hearings for President Obama's Supreme Court nominee. So, Zeus, if you will. Release the keg! Keg! For keg and five. For three days, Solicitor General Elena Kagan has sat for questioning by the Senate Judiciary Committee, the Supreme Court's version of a gang beat-in. It's never easy. It's not supposed to be. But one quote from Kagan's past writings made these hearings particularly awkward. Ms. Kagan has called previous confirmation hearings vapid and hollow. Uh, she has said they were an exercise in futility, a waste of air. A bunch of jagoffs yammering, that's what, these are her words, not my, she said of me personally, my ears make my head look like a flesh-toned bowling trophy. That's what she said. She said I look like a gay Alfred E. Newman, that's what she said. Perhaps this hearing will be Elena Kagan's chance to demonstrate the proper manner in which to answer committee questions in a forthright, non-evasive honest, judicially transparent way so that we may, as a nation, finally have a Supreme Court confirmation con conversation that we deserve. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to talk about what I think about past cases. I'm uh, hesitant to, to, to make any comments and not to in any way uh, prejudge, so it would not be appropriate for me to comment. I couldn't comment. I'm reluctant to say, I guess I don't want to make any comment. When are they going to release the Kagan? <laughs> All right, people, why Kagan, why? Why won't you give your frank opinion about this court, why? I would not want to characterize the current court in, in any way, I, I hope one day to join it. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to say? You want me to say Scalia's an ass is that what you want me to say? <laughs> I'm not gonna say it, you know why? I hope to work with that ass that was my uh, Elena Kagan impression. <laughs> Wasn't very good. So Kagan will not divulge who she would be as a Supreme Court Justice for fear that she will not get to be a Supreme Court Justice. And her opponents will not explicitly divulge why they don't want her to be a Supreme Court Justice for fear that they will look like provincial little brains. Let's watch it play out. I want America to know who you are. Ms. Kagan's experience draws from a world whose signposts are distant from most Americans. You have a very different belief system than most of the people who come where I come from. You grew up in Manhattan. Manhattan's Upper West Side. Let's just cut to the chase. You're a Jew. <laughs> you're a Jew. You're, you're from, you're from Jewsylvania. Your favorite candy is Jujubees. You love to play Jumanji. Your favorite way to eat roast beef, au jus. You're a Jew. Your favorite musical is all of them. You're an Upper West Side Jew. 
Your favorite singer is Jewel, which rhymes with shul, which is where you go to school, because you're a Jew. Well, I see my time is up. I yield to the senator from South Carolina. Perhaps it is time we move past this obsession with the nominee's otherworldliness and ethnicity. Christmas Day bomber, where are you at on Christmas Day? You know, like all Jews, I was probably at a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> Boom! 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 Yes! My people use humor to defuse situations! Boom! A moment of genuine humor. Someone quickly sanitize it. I'm enjoying some of the um, uh, ethnic humor here from... <laughs> Wait till I talk about the Italian side and the Irish side of my family and the French-Canadian side of my wife's family. Oy vey, we'll have something going. <laughs> yeah, how about those French-Canadians, huh? Hey, get off the couch, Frenchie. So with the exposure of Kagan's strange city-like existence not yielding results, the senators moved on to plan B, Kagan's association with radicals. Ms. Kagan has associated herself with well-known activist judges. Ms. Kagan identified Thurgood Marshall as another of her legal heroes. Justice Marshall's judicial philosophy, however, is not what I would consider to be mainstream. It's more about his judicial philosophy that concerns me. He described his judicial philosophy as, quote, do what you think is right and let the law catch up. These judges really don't deny their activist ideas. They advocate it. You're on Thurgood Marshall? <laughs> the man widely credited with desegregating America's schools. Later became the first African-American Supreme Court justice. Spent nearly a quarter of a century on the high court. That's your Bill Ayers? That's your Reverend Wright in this situation? Uh, Ms. Kagan, I see you're also a fan of this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> Are you aware the FBI considered him a communist? If a decision doesn't go your way, I assume you'll be uh, marching on the Capitol? <laughs> so after four days of insinuation, obfuscation, and very little illumination, where do we stand? The question was, would uh, Solicitor General Kagan be confirmed? Solicitor General Kagan will be confirmed. Ah, I keep forgetting, the confirmation process isn't really to confirm nominees. It is to confirm what we already think about the confirmation process. To quote a future Supreme Court justice, vapid and hollow. Thanks for listening, everyone. So the, the only real two cents I want to add to this show is, uh, is not to pile on and talk about how uh, even though the Supreme Court is very arguably the most important branch of government, the, the people who hold those offices hold them for decades and have uh, incalculable uh, sway over individual people's lives uh, you know, for decades or centuries to come into the future. And, uh, and so with the weight of that kind of importance – uh, you know, for the, the confirmation process for justices to be so incredibly juvenile is uh, horrifying, to say the least. Uh, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pile on and say any of that, uh, you know, because I, I kind of uh, understand to a certain extent why uh, we have kind of reached this lowest common denominator sort of, uh, sort of system. And so, you know, it's by my nature, I am less frustrated by things I understand, even if they are frustrating, than I am frustrated by things that I do not understand. And what I do not understand is the continued uh, double standard that I, I think was brought up in this show, um, but that in many more ways than, than just for the Supreme Court, um, but, but definitely exemplified here, why is it? that conservatives are allowed to be proud about being conservative, but liberals are not allowed to be proud to be liberal or progressive or whatever word you prefer. Uh, I, I just don't understand that. 
And so I find that particularly frustrating and wanted to uh, say that, but not say anything else uh, because I find it confusing and I have nothing else to say. What I am not the least bit confused about and what I will say is that uh, things are going very well over at Podcast Alley. Um, We are not past the finish line yet, but uh, it would be great if you could head over to podcastalley.com and vote for Best of the Left and our friends over at Blast the Right. We absolutely positively stand a chance of uh, getting those two shows up into the top three. Uh, The Young Turks are are already there, so um, that'll make the trifecta and it'll be great and we will consider our experiment a success. I'm also not confused about the members who help make this show possible, so of course I want to thank a couple of them today. Uh, Alexandra S. signed up for a monthly membership starting way back in, uh, in February, on February 10th, and then Michael K. signed up on March 17th and went ahead and paid for a year's worth of membership in advance. So huge thanks to Michael and Alexandra and, of course, all of the members who make the show possible. I just can't thank you guys enough. So I'm going to make that it for today. Of course, uh, besides memberships that help keep the show going, everyone who's listening is capable of helping the show out tremendously just by spreading the word about it. Telling five friends makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, Please keep that up. Uh, You know, of course, I have no advertising budget whatsoever, so it's totally up to you guys to help spread the word and, uh, and get this show into more people's ears. I mean, you know how much you like it. Uh, think how much someone would appreciate it if you were the one who turned them on to the show. Of course, to stay connected or even help spread the word online about the show, you can uh, sign up with us at Twitter and Facebook. We're on both of those. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Now, thanks entirely to the support of members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, black and white. You took a picture that wasn't right.